You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Well, we uh, eulogize the great Sterling Moss on this episode. Also, get into uh, fuel tank bladders. Some interesting info in that world. And uh, a, an astounding revelation about uh, Venice Beach, California in the mid-60s. And how yeah. The place had a lot of range back then. <laughs> yeah, it did. And then we touch a little bit on the Mustang Mach-E <laughs> electric vehicles. What's going to happen in the next two years? Yeah, all good stuff. First, Tommy John for the next few weeks or God forbid months, people are going to be trapped in their home. You want to be comfortable. And that means uh, comfortable loungewear and underwear from Tommy John. For a limited time, all customers get 20% off site-wise, plus free shipping, softest, most breathable proprietary fabrics perform like nothing you've ever worn before. I got the no-roll waistbands. And the no wedgie guarantee, by the way, no visible panty lines for the ladies. The stuff is top shelf. The fabrics are great, soft, and breathable. It, it dries really fast. So it's like if I hit my rowing machine and work up a little lather in my Tommy Johns, I just hang them out in my bathroom. I just air dry them. I put them on the next day. Save water. Save electricity. You'll love Tommy John. Best pair you'll ever wear. Or it's free guarantee. Right, Matt? Yeah, hurry to uh, tommyjohn.com slash carcast for 20% off your first order. That's tommyjohn.com slash carcast for 20% off. tommyjohn.com slash carcast. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. The truth, get on. Mandy, get on. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt Pearl. It's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, over Hello. there. Hey, man. How you doing? Nice robe. Thank you. Jimmy Kimmel bought it for me some years <laughs> ago. Get a good robe, everybody. Boy, I'll tell you, it's really paying dividends. <laughs> yeah, I got up. Um, I got up a little late in the swimming pool. I, uh, I actually, you know, there's a point when you make things like TV shows and movies and documentaries and stuff. There's a point where you get enough distance from the project where it's not really yours anymore. You could just watch it. You know, you could you can literally just watch an old movie or an old something you did. And especially when you're not in it, you know, you're, you're kind of removed from it. And um, I ran into Mark. Well, I didn't run into Mark Garagos. I saw Mark Garagos yesterday and I saw him at the shop. He loved the uh, Newman uh, GT3 Porsche uh, Petite Le Mans car. I don't even know what is that thing a GT3. What is that thing? Yeah, about? it's a and it's a it's a 2000. So you know, just right. some reference. It's fairly modern. Yeah, Mark loved that car. Anyway, started talking and he just uh, looked at me and he went, uh, "Man, I, I I don't know how I missed it the first time around, but the the 24 hour war, man, what a story!" <laughs> and uh, he said, "You know, 10 minutes in, he was just drawn in and it just kept going." You know, and I was like. Yeah, 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 it's a cool story. Uh, I don't think I've watched that movie, you know, in months or years or whatever it came out. Like, I, I saw it, you know, you see a thousand different versions of it. Anyway, last night I was like, had Mark's v voice ringing my ear about the, the 24-hour war. And uh, I just, like, watched the first hour of it. I just watched it like I never made it. I was just like, man, this is good. Like, 
I love this story. Look at these Italian guys and Ferrari. <laughs> and, and then I was like looking at it and I was like, oh, that's Ken Miles from Ford V Ferrari. That's what he really looked like, you know? Yeah. And I was, uh, I was just kind of enjoying it as a, as a spectator. So, uh, what a day, what a story. I don't, I don't think that'll ever, God, you think about those times, like think about California right now. Yeah. And what colossal fucking pussies we've all turned into. <laughs> and then think about Carol Shelby and those guys in those days in Venice beach. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about, um, I also had it on my mind too, because right about the time I've never really, uh, thought about this, but I interviewed last week on ACS, Robbie Krieger, the guitar player from the doors. And those guys had like met and were hanging out in Venice beach, probably, well, you know, the band sort of formed in like 1965. So like Shelby was there. Shelby was building Cobras. I guess the Daytona was probably first built in 64. So you have to look up like what month that was in 64. But at the same time, Shelby was like doing his thing in Venice Beach. Uh, Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek were like doing their thing like 200 feet away. They yeah. couldn't have been more different. Now everyone's just a big fucking pussy. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what we've turned into. But that's what we used to be. We used to be that. I uh, I watched when Ford v Ferrari came out. I watched uh, the Shelby doc and then Ford v Ferrari like back to back. Like watched the mm. doc, then went to the theater and saw Ford v Ferrari, and just kind of wanted to see them sort of back to back and go, oh, this is this is the story and what these guys did, and here's sort of the. The, the romantic version that Hollywood put together and, and uh, both. And we, I know we've said this before, both films are fantastic. You can kind of pick the facts out of the dock and compare it to the movie, but the movie's still very good and entertaining in its own right. You know, like mm -hmm. it's just a good standalone movie, regardless of some of the facts changing here and there. But uh, uh, you weren't disappointed. I know a lot of people are like, you know, this part I don't get. It's like every time a movie comes out, somebody goes, the book was better. It's like, okay, but I didn't read the book. I just saw the movie. So it was fine. <laughs> you know? And uh, I uh, think there's a little, I, I think there's a little pressure on car, car guys. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, you know, the Patrick Dempsey's of the world. And guys like that to kind of go like, eh, you know, it wasn't that good. Or like, it, like basically saying, I know the story. That wasn't the story. You know, part of it is your bona fides. Like, hey, man, yeah. I was there. You know, I know how that went down. Um, my feeling is, is, look, first off, you know, I enjoyed uh, Cobra. Yeah. Like Stallone a lot. I saw the Daylight. Book was better. <laughs> <laughs> I watched. I watched a hell out of Daylight, where he was trapped in the Holland Tunnel. You know. Yeah. Uh, I can't really turn my nose up on uh, on movies when I when I like to watch bad movies. Um, it it you know first off, why do it to yourself? You know, like why go? Ah, oh, that was no good. Why not enjoy the movie? Number one, or try to enjoy the movie, and number two. Um, 
it's it's fine just because you know things doesn't you don't have to ruin it but but it's true like i talked to when i was interviewing robbie krieger he was like i was on the set when they made the doors you know um mm -hmm. with oliver stone and he and i was like oh i love that movie and he's like yeah you know yeah it could have done some things differently and i'm like yeah you can't robbie krieger can't enjoy it because robbie krieger knows the story of how the song light my fire was created yeah and the story is jim morrison basically said hey i can't write all the songs uh you guys need to write some songs and then told like robbie krieger when he was like 19 or 20 like go home and write a song and uh and you know, uh, write it about, you know, something universal or something and, and love or earth or sky or fire or something. Uh, that was Robbie's thought on it. And it, it was funny. He said this thing that made me think some, sometimes in my life, he goes, I went home and I wrote light my fire. And then, you know, I came back the next day with light my fire. And then he goes, nobody else did it. And I thought, Oh yeah, I feel like that's my life where someone goes, all right, everyone, we're going to do this. And then I go home and do it. And then I come back and I look around at all my goofball friends and no one did whatever. <laughs> no one did the work. No one did the homework. Whatever we were supposed to do. So we just came back with Light My Fire and, and that was it. You know, they, they wrote it. Now, like in the movie, Jim is like discovering it for him and, you know, telling him, you know, uh, you know, and Robbie's like, I have a loose idea for a song. And Jim's like, well, it should go this way instead. Now, obviously, if you just went home and wrote the song and brought it in and it was your band's first number one hit and broke you guys, you wouldn't want it to look like it was a big collaboration. Yeah. But that's what happens when you make a movie. So anyone who knows too much about that story, like Robbie Krieger is not going to enjoy that film. I just went to the movie theater when I was 26 and enjoyed the film. Yeah. All right. So you want to talk about <clears throat> Sterling Moss? I, I thought maybe, uh, you know, we've, um, we must've seen him or run into him. I don't know if we ever had a chance to interview him for anything for going race or anything, but we've seen him at Goodwood. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and, you know, I just remember like walking around and, and seeing the little guy blow by and going, hey, that was Sterling Moss. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you know, Sterling Moss, uh, as you guys know, unfortunately uh, passed away, but had a nice long life of 90 years old. And I just started looking a little bit more into his career. And, uh, and then you and I talked a little bit uh, this week, just uh, casually on the phone saying, hey, you know, Sterling Moss is a name that's synonymous with racing for forever, but he had a, he had a short career. I mean, he was out when he was 31 years old. So for the next almost 60 years, what do you need to do to, to stay relevant? You know, like you're constantly involved in the racing world or, or you're, you're a likable guy and, you know, people want to do stuff with you and invite you to things and, and get your input on things. But, you know, uh, he started racing very young. I want to say he was like 17 years old when he started racing. And I think he won, uh, Chris can double check, like 16 of his 66 races. That's right. And, uh, 
and then was in a terrible car accident when he was 31 years old, which resulted in him being in a coma for a month. Well, I'm and, looking. And then uh, it ended his racing career. I'm and he was 31 down, years old. I got a piece of paper here, and it says he raced from 48 to 62, winning 212 of the 529 races he entered. Well, um, the six. Sorry, the uh, 61 races out of 66 was F1. So oh, 16, 16 out of 66 was, yeah, was F, F1. That was F1, so I don't know. If oh, okay. Other... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very high. Uh, 212 out of 530 races is quite a, quite a winning percentage. You don't see that. And, uh, yeah, that was just F1. 24 podiums, 16 wins. Um, zero champions championships but uh he had that horrible injury what he raced in 107 seven different types of car Mm. so very personal see i i have drove 84 different makes of cars over the course of his racing career but who the hell knows the point (laughs) is this he was a prolific racer and goodwood is where he crashed Goodwood turned out to be a little too dangerous and that's why they shut it down. I don't know if McLaren died at Goodwood too, or was it like Silverstone or something? Did Goodwood, did McLaren die testing at Goodwood? The other weird, you know, it's weird when you, when you see these guys um, and you realize, I always bring it up to you, like how many of these guys died testing? You know, you just don't think of testing as, as dangerous as a, in a race. Yeah. But when you look at, um, when you think of, uh, so McLaren died. Bruce testing. McLaren died age 32 when his Cam-Am, Cam-Am car crashed on the Levant Strait while he was testing the new McLaren M8D at Goodwood Circuit. Huh. Yeah, Goodwood got, I mean, they stopped racing there, I think, in 66. Like, it was too dangerous. Now they have a big race there every year. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, but um, McLaren died testing. Um, God, could that guy imagine how his name would, would carry on? Um, and uh, Ken Miles, of course, died testing. Um, Donahue died testing as well. Uh, Donahue, who drove all the... Uh, Porsche, uh, Trans Am cars, or sorry, Can Am Porsches, the nine seventeen thirties. He see, he set the uh, speed record at like Talladega in the in the Porsche nine seventeen thirty and stuff. He died shortly thereafter, I think, testing uh, F one and Mark Donahue. And then the other weird thing is, is like if you. If you look at like Ford v Ferrari, they'll have that thing where like they're at Daytona and uh, here comes here comes Ken Miles and there's Walt Haskins and it's and they're looking at each other and whatever and then you go Walt Haskins oh that guy died a few a few months later when they went to Le Mans he was testing Walt Haskins was testing a GT40 at Le Mans and he died testing it's a lot of died testing just yeah. kind of kind of interesting. And if you watch uh, the G, if you watch uh, Ford v Ferrari, and you see him, 
going down the straightaway and there's that sort of evil Ferrari driver. And uh, he's like, they're looking at each other and, you know, Ken Miles looking at him and he's looking at him and they're going down the thing. Uh, I'll think of that guy as like Benzini or something. That guy died a couple of months later in an F1 crash, like a horrible Jeez. fire. Like you just look at these ancillary guys, like they're not making these guys up. That's uh, it's like, it's like, it's not Roberto. It's like um, it's Gonzini or something. I'll think of the guy's name. I got it written down somewhere. But the point is, is he's the nemesis. He's a Ferrari nemesis, tough guy driver for Ferrari that Ken Miles, who's leading. So the guy's leading um, the Lama and Ken's got to catch him, but he breaks his car and, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then he's dead in this horrible fiery crash. Like just, I think at Monaco, like, like a mm-hmm. few months later. So it's like all these names who are even around these people are dead half, half the time. I mean, yeah. I, I, obviously the guy who won that race with Ken miles McLaren, he's dead. Like it, it, there was just so much. Could you imagine that amount of death in, in a sport? And, today? And, and, and so much damage. Like we're, you know, uh, Sterling Moss broke both his legs and screwed himself up in 1960. And then two years later was his bigger accident at Goodwood, which ended his career and put him in a coma, but it wasn't his first, you know, like significant damage. And, the the Goodwood event, he was uh, he was in an F one car with no seatbelt. Right. Well, they didn't want to catch on. They didn't want to catch on fire. <laughs> Lorenzo Bandini, that's the guy. Yeah. There's film of, of his F one crash. I mean, it's just a fiery mess. So it's funny. Yeah, he wasn't. You know, Sterling Moss wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Uh, Lorenzo Bandini's car just caught on fire. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why they couldn't fucking figure out the fuel situation like nobody mm-hmm. done the nobody nobody could conceive of a bladder <laughs> i i guess not i it i i don't know it's kind of a weird thing a good question for pete brock right somebody who is who is there uh yeah. during during some of this stuff but uh well i uh, mean fire was such a look the thing about fire is reason none of those guys wanted to get bolted into a car is because of fire. So because nobody wanted a cage and a six-way harness and a blah, blah, blah because of fire. So if you could have eliminated the fire, you then could have stepped up with your harnesses and your roll bars and your other stuff. You could have stepped up the harness game. But no one wanted to get harnessed in until they figured out the fire situation and all they had was an aluminum can with tons of gas in it. That obviously is not going to work for a fire. And the only conceivable, the only conceivable option would be to put a bladder inside of the tank, uh, inside the aluminum tank. You have a, uh, you have Lorenzo Bandini. Yeah, I love that name. By the way, it's a great name. He's at Monaco the next. The next year, he's at Le Mans 66. He's at Monaco in 67. He's buzzing. Uh, he's buzzing around the track. And then all of a sudden, there's a ball Ooh. of fire. And uh, he's gone. 
I, yeah. I don't, it, it was instant weird, fire, instant qualifier. You're instant right. Ball of fire. It, it's almost like it's dangerous on purpose, like to a fault. Like just, it's amazing how boom, instant fire. It's just all fuel and flames at that point. You're right. There's no, I don't know, like what kind of thin gauge metals happening with, you know, for lightweight on a fuel tank and, and, you know. I, gar- I guarantee that by night, that's 1967. I don't, I don't know when the first bladder hit, but, and, and that footage is kind of weird. It looks like there's a cut. It's kind of hard to tell, but it just looks like he caught a tire on something and just flames. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, I guarantee you that the military had aircraft with tanks that had like self sealing or whatever tanks or bladders or some form of that by 1967. I mean, by 1967, the military was launching, you know, F four phantoms off of, off of jet. Uh, yeah, probably or, 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 uh, a fours or whatever, probably F fours and A fours off fucking decks in the, the Gulf of Tonkin. I mean, we should have had a bladder and a fucking tank and a car. Yeah. At, at, at least, well, this is where the weight thing comes in, where at, at the very least, there was probably different type of blast shields and fire shields and, and uh, you know, reinforced metal plates and stuff where a little extra weight probably uh, is, you know, is, is worth the level of safety that you're getting uh, because that, you know, the Bandini crash, that that instant ball of flame doesn't look like just a fuel line. Like you'd never get that much fuel out of a fuel line that quickly. No, no. You know, and, like and, that's the tank. That's just booms it ball of fire, you know? Right. Um, when is, when do you think the first fuel bladder? Now it's going to be tough to say was in use, but was mandatory in F1. Oh, I don't know. Um, that's, that's an interesting question, right? I mean, they had them in road racing. A lot of my, you know, I got dots and roadsters that have a fuel cell, the fuel bladder in them. I mean, they're not, it's not the same bladder because they deteriorate over years, but they probably had a fuel bladder back in the day. I'd be curious as to when those were in use. When did the well, fuel bladder? I think, I think a self-sealing fuel tank original patent was submitted in 1918 and then uh uh somehow it was rescinded and then a self puncture sealing covering for fuel containers i believe got a patent in 1921 yeah that's a a little <laughs> bit of help but it's not really no the but there was a, but it just means that the technology was yeah was, somebody was, was thinking there. about it yeah. Look, I, I look in in the '60s. We had military jets that were capable of going supersonic. What what was what's up with the tanks on the F1 cars? When did when did F1? When was the rule that all the cars had to have fuel cells? And uh, when was it for uh, GT cars or or NASCAR? Yeah, or NASCAR or something. I, I'm. It's uh, it's hard to find, but I'm seeing for F one nineteen seventy. 
is when that style of bag tanks were made mandatory to prevent ruptures, fuel spillage, and fire. Sounds about right. Like, yeah. obviously, in the late 60s, you didn't see it, and you didn't really see all the fires in 75, so it must have been right about 70. But, again, not sure why they didn't fucking implement that or get to work on it. I mean, if I went to Sean in the back of my shop, and I said, hey, Sean, there's, a, there's an issue with these lightweight aluminum boxes called fuel tanks blowing up and everyone burning like could you work on it it take him about three days to figure out that if he put a like a ballistic type rubber in the lining of the tank that wasn't degraded by the fuel that that would go a pretty fucking long way in preventing this shit yeah i i I just i don't feel like it was that tall in order Right, and to your point, this isn't because one guy got hurt and they're going, oh, maybe we need it, maybe we don't. Like, we're already going on decades of people getting hurt or killed and caught on well, fire. I mean, not, I mean what, what it is, it, it, but it's a, it's a ripple effect because if everyone's greatest nightmare is to burn alive, everyone's, everyone's greatest fear is to burn alive in a car that's turned over on them, right? Like that's, that's, that's the greatest fear of every driver. Well, then no one's going to wear a seatbelt. They're just going to, they're just going to take their chances outside of the car. Yeah. All right. Let me hit uh, bet online. Nothing to bet on, right? Wrong. Bet online has hundreds of ways to wager. They bring Vegas to you. uh, Online poker, blackjack. Yeah. Have a little fun during the quarantine. Miss the NFL, <clears throat> live daily Madden NFL, 20 simulations to uh, wager on. Plus, Big Brother, American Idol, stocks, even uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. That's coming up, yeah. <laughs> Tune into the uh, end of this uh, podcast for uh, Rob's sis- sister Nino's uh, interview with uh, Joey Chestnut, Bet Online, and Bet Online's Dave Mason on the Bet Online Quarantine Channel quarantine challenge this weekend bet online our exclusive partner podcast one sign up for free account with promo code podcast one for a hundred percent sign up bonus visit betonline.ag don't forget promo code podcast one for your hundred percent sign up bonus all right what else we got i was just curious is the uh is the hot dog eating champion is that guy rich like what what are the accolades for eating the most hot dogs like other than free hot dogs. Well, like, Joey Chestnut, <laughs> I interviewed years ago uh, on my morning show. He was working, you know, like, I don't know if he was doing construction or like working at a warehouse or something, but he was definitely had a day job. Kobayashi was the, the big favorite to win. He was winning. The Japanese fellow was winning everything. And uh, Joe, Joey's like nipping at his heels. <clears throat> at some point, Joey passed him and has been dominating like ever since. And I don't even know if Kobayashi does it anymore. Now, I didn't answer your question. <laughs> I mean, does does Chestnut still work at Home Depot or like what's going on? <laughs> I don't think, you know, what he does, what he does to the best of my knowledge is he does hot dog eating, then he does rib eating, then he does like hot wing eating. And blah, blah, blah. I don't, uh, I'm not a fan of the rib and the hot wing because there's a bone involved and it's, uh, yeah. we can't, it's not technical enough. I, I like the whole thing to be gone. 
Yeah. Well, I get you. Like, you watch the Olympics and somebody was running track or something at the Olympics doing the hurdles. But what you don't see is, like, through the course of the year, they're they're doing, you know, world championships and whatever, whatever. So I guess you got to just keep eating <laughs> throughout the year. We have is well, just the, uh, the online celebrity net worth, and we know how widely that can vary. But yeah. we want to guess what you think it is. I, I, I... Two million dollars. Um, yeah, that that doesn't it doesn't seem wildly uh, wildly off to me. That uh, I mean, there's endorsements. I guess um, I'm gonna go one point five. God damn it! It's literally one point five to two million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I looked it up earlier in the week. Well, I guess uh, I guess Nike and uh, is not a part of the, uh, the hot dog eating competition because uh, it seems a little low for for one of their endorsements. <laughs> kind of counteracts the whole be athletic and fit kind yeah. of thing. You know. Well, the 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 thing the thing that's funny is Joey used to be what you just call like a big husky dude, but he's now lean and mean that he's winning all these eating competitions. And Kobayashi, who used to win all the competitions, was a freak. Like, that guy had a six-pack and was like, I don't know. Kobayashi, as I recall, was like, you know, 5'10", 160 and, like, shredded. <laughs> like, so it it, it really, it, it you know, I know everyone kind of has that, like, Monty Python version of the big eaters. But it turns out the guys that are in fantastic shape and better athletes tend to be better at it. Yeah. I, that yeah. is a, that's my that's experience. I don't know why we went off on this, but I was just curious because I'm sure you talked to the guys at some point. I'm just wondering what the, well, the way, the day you know, you know the, the way I met Joe Coy, the way I met Joe Coy many years ago is he was Kobayashi. He would play Kobayashi on the radio and he would oh. call in and he would taunt Joey Chestnut. And <laughs> Joey didn't even really fully know, like, if that was, jo- you know, Kobe Ashi or, like, who this guy was. But he'd play these. He'd, he'd call in and taunt him. And I didn't even know who – I didn't know who Joe Coy was. Like, I, I didn't know all the stand-up comedians. This is, you know, 13 years ago or something, 14 years ago or something. And – you know, Mike August was just like, eh, I got this guy's going to play Kobayashi. Like, I don't even think he told me it was Joe Coy because I, I was like, who's Joe Coy? Like, I don't know. I don't know who this person is, yeah. but that's who he is. And so he would call in as Kobayashi. And, you know, uh, two months ago, I opened for him at the forum. So <laughs> he opened for Joey Chestnut. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so keep keep going, everybody. Yeah, you right. Never, you never know what the future holds. Yeah. yeah. But from the time he was doing that show, I mean, he was doing my show in like I don't know, oh seven, maybe oh eight. I yeah. don't. I don't remember. It it had been, it had been a while since uh, from the time he was unknown doing Kobayashi on my show to the time he was selling out the forum but but he he kept at it kids so if you're listening that's uh <laughs> that's the idea right yeah so uh let's see 
Ford Mach-E electric specs. You have something for us? Yeah, I was looking for some good news in the automotive world, <laughs> and everything seems to be, you know, between Kyle Larson and Mike Lavalle dime. I don't know if you know Mike Lavalle. We talked about it earlier this week with uh, Goldberg and I went into it because he knew him well. Mike Lavalle was the airbrush painter on Overhauling. He did real flames. He did, like, right. a lot of the airbrush stuff. He, he died last night, as uh, huh. Tuesday night. Um, How old was he? 60, I believe. He had a stroke. He was in the hospital, and uh, you know, a lot of the fans were rallying for him. He was a nice guy. But so I was looking for some good news in the in the car world, and um, and the Ford Mach E, which is the electric uh, little crossover SUV type vehicle that uh, will be coming out soon. That I like. I think it looks really good. I went for a ride in one. Mm-hmm. Um, now the information is coming out and and saying, hey we can revise the numbers. It's going to have a little more horsepower, excuse me, a little more horsepower and torque than we thought. And, uh, you know, we were kind of breaking it down a little bit about how does this stuff kind of happen. And it's like, when you go and you buy, you, you go buy your, your Mustang GT, it needs to have the right balance between fuel efficiency and emissions and performance. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you take it and you bring it home, you can do whatever you want and you can put a tune in it and get, you know, 35 extra horsepower, but you might lose another mile per gallon or something in the process. And that's fine, right. you know. And so Ford has to do a thing, especially with the electric cars. They can say, hey, it goes zero to 60 in five and a half seconds. Can it do it in 5.1? Sure, we can just adjust the software. But now what does that do to the overall range of the vehicle? Right. Right. So what they figured out is, is, hey, we can make this thing perform a little bit better, turn up the power, and not alter the range. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the revised numbers are coming from. So, you know, it's on average, whatever, 15, 16 horsepower bumps, you know, you know 11, 12 uh, foot-pounds of torque. Um, but who knows? Maybe that translates to... Uh, another tenth off the zero to sixty or something like that, depending on whatever mode you're in. Um, but it seems to be like the range will still be at about two thirty on the low end for the low battery, I think, or it might be two two ten on the low end and three hundred on the high end. Um, but with uh, the range, yeah, yeah, you know, we, with the different batteries that well, they're going to have, uh, and all wheel drive versus rear wheel drive. My kids are turning fourteen and a few months or maybe a month or maybe let's see when are we month and a half whatever chris can google it chris will google (laughs) uh my kids are turning 14 soon yeah when they turn 16 two years from now they're not gonna they're gonna they're not gonna buy a gas car are they i i don't know that they do because first of all the electric cars are are becoming more affordable you're talking about you know you know, Tesla, uh, you know, Nissan Leaf, Tesla, uh, you know, Model 3. And, and these, these Mustang Mach-E's are going to start at like 44 grand. Sure, they can get up to 60,000 or so, but, uh, or, or more. But, you know, they're not $120,000 cars anymore. Like you can, you can get this into a pretty good price range. And yeah, it's like, you know, we like what we like. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to have, you know, 
you know, the, the loud, whatever muscle car or, or truck or something. Yeah. But, that's for, uh, that's for us. I mean, my, my kids aren't going to, they're not going to want that. Right. But there is, it is kind of coming to a point where, uh, you know, I go, Hey, you know, if we got to go to the studio of a few days a week or go to Orange County to do podcasts or whatever, an electric Mach E wouldn't be bad to have. You're not going to take away the other things that I like, <clears> you know, the <throat> other cars, you know, the yeah. loud, whatever. Uh, but why, why not have the, uh, have, have the cool kind of electric car one that's now it's fun to drive and it looks good and it's kind of sporty. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think, I think we're there. I think, um, is, is, is the Mustang, I'm sorry, is the Ford E Mustang, whatever, is that all available? Could I, could I, if I went down to Galpin and I talked to Bo Bachman and I said, hey, I really want one of those cars like Pronto. How long would it take? Okay, so um, the, it was supposed to be available soon, but with the coronavirus thing, they're delaying the launch. Um, orders were taken for the first edition, and mm-hmm. I think that's sold out. And mm-hmm. then I, I think there's going to be another like sort of order process happening, um, but you can't go to the dealer and get one right now. It's still going to be, I don't know the exact date on it yet. I don't know. Um, it's looking like uh, 2021. It's going to be a little bit. Right. So I will, uh, how about this? <clears throat> we're, we're close. Like we're, we're really close now. There's a lot of options. The price is down. Um, have the leaf and the bolt, the bolt or bolt. <laughs> bolt yeah, bolt. the bolt is gone now. We have a bolt. <clears throat> we have a bolt. Uh, Tesla has the three. A lot of options, a lot of whatever. Like we're, we're there right now. But um, infrastructure, a little bit, range, you know, still mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can't get. Well, I don't know. Can we get from here to Vegas? What's Vegas? Two hundred and something miles. Yeah, but there's a there's like a fast charger or something on the way. Right. At least for the Teslas, but, I'm not sure how it the, works the, for the other Ford cars. Ford stuff you couldn't get t- tomorrow. You'd have to wait a year or whatever it is. I'm just I'm going to say that, and I'm going to pro- proclaim this. I'm going to proclaim that when my two twins t- turn sixteen two years from now that will be the point where we tipped. That'll be, it doesn't, that'll be the first time it doesn't make sense not to get an electric car. Now, <clears throat> we all know that, you know, Rob Schneider pulled up in his Tesla Roadster eight years ago or whatever. And it was like, hey, he's an eccentric celebrity with no kids, you know, fine. And he's a, he's a dwarf. So let him drive a Tesla, you know, let him pay $120,000 or whatever. Yeah, but, and then then it started getting into the the leaf and stuff, but the but the range or the BMW i uh, whatever, but the range and blah blah blah, and then now we're at a point where it's like, um, my wife drives an electric car, I don't. It makes sense for her, maybe not so much for me. I say when my kids turn sixteen, like literally, throughout the course of history, you'll mm-hmm. be able to look back to that date you know, 2022 and go, that's the year it actually made more sense financially, spiritually, whatever. Like it actually, you know, the environmental movement, everything else, it actually made more sense to drive an electric at that point. At this point, it's a little like, that's a little bit of a coin toss, maybe the gas. 
Got but I, I would, I would also add to that argument and that the cars are going to be cooler by then. So, right. you know, sure. 16 year old, 17 year old, Sonny and Natalia are going to go, Hey dad, that thing looks cool. You know, it's like all, check right. out this, it's check all, out this kind of Mustang looking thing, this sporty yes. thing. And it's no longer, you know, making a statement or, or kind of a hipster thing or even an affluent thing. Like they're more affordable. They look kind of cool. Yes. Bright no, colors. Well, and that's, fun that's, all, and, that's all part of the equation, but that's all part yeah. of the more sense. I don't, we're, mm-hmm. we're right there. I'd say when my kids turn 16, we will, we'll go electric. Um, let me hit Geico. Chris has a question about a Newman 911. Um, Sean's sawing up the tail of uh, the uh, Sebring 911 as we, as we speak. Talk about that. Maybe another show. Take some pictures of it. Geico, everyone. You want to, uh, well, you have homeowner's insurance. You have renter's insurance. Why don't we bundle? We'll get our bundle on at uh, Geico. You just go to geico.com. Take either homeowners, your renter's insurance, and uh, bundle it with your auto insurance and save a bunch of money and make things a little easier on yourself. That is uh, Geico. Geico.com makes it so much easier to bundle at Geico. That's geico.com. All right, Max Pata, Porsche um, question. So it's actually about the uh, the tail. So I looked at Sean's Instagram, and he posted this picture of the – we talked about it two weeks ago – of the uh, 911s Porsche, how they had that wing under the tail. So Sean posted a picture of of him fabricating it the, almost the day of you mentioning. <laughs> yeah. It. Uh, and then later on, I just see this picture, which is everything taken apart. And I was just curious as to what. Happened. Oh, not just taken apart. That's all cut up. <laughs> yeah, that's not taken apart. That's cut apart. Yeah, that's oh, that's. You get one shot, you know, that's what it is. Yes, I'm just, I guess I'm just asking for an update on what, what's going on. <laughs> um, Sean's got his wheel out and his pneumatic cutter and his wheel, and he's cutting everything with his wheel. By the way, people don't use like a sawzall or a jigsaw, like a reciprocating blade when you're cutting uh, fiberglass like this or many things. Use a wheel, it, a very thin wheel. It's so much easier to uh, do it. Um, he's taking the existing fiberglass deck lid with a big tail in it and he's cutting out a lot of it and he's shortening it up and he's making a lot more narrow and he's going to put it all back together and have to re-glass it and repaint it, restripe it and re-everything it. But it was my decision that this car since it went back to the paint scheme that it had in 1977 when it ran at Sebring with uh, Bill Freeman and Paul Newman driving it, it needed the tail that was correct as well. And the tail was not correct. The tail was off of a, the tail was off a more modern car and, or, or I shouldn't even say a more modern car, just it wasn't modified as this one was modified. They put these side canards or skirts on it. They shortened it up. It looks really cool. I I know it didn't work that well because no one else adopted it. But either way, that was the car as it raced at Sebring in 1977. And I was like, well, then that's what we have to put it back to. And it was definitely bespoke. I have never seen another Porsche 
that modification on its tail. And Matt and I have walked through many paddocks and looked at many Porsches, right? We've never seen this before. I'm so curious to how this is going to change anything. Now, you haven't driven the car yet, so there's not going to be sort of a an apples-to-apples comparison, but I, I'm, I'm just so curious as to what they were thinking when they did it. And I mean, we can make some assumptions and what the result was and why it didn't show up again. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and it went to Bullwinkle racing after this and it stayed that way for a little while. And then at some point they switched it. All right. Uh, so you can, uh, where do you go to follow all this stuff? Max, Pat, our YouTube page. Yeah. Check out our YouTube page. Just go to carcastshow.com. All the links are there. Find this podcast, the YouTube, everything. And you can go to Chassis, C-H-A-S-S-Y, and look at, get the Blu-ray or the poster or the T-shirt or whatever, Uppity and all those those movies as well. I think we'll even sign them and send them out to you when this whole thing blows over. Um, and uh, you can go to amcrawler.com. I got my new book, uh, I'll Be Your Emotional Support Animal, and that's uh, available for pre-order on Amazon, and you can get the audio book as well. Matt, what do you got? Uh, just uh, posting some stuff, um, some old photos and new stuff all on my social media up on Motorator. So, till next, so until next time, Adam Crow for Matt, the Motorator, DeAndrea, saying, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And uh, just a reminder to uh, check out our friends at Geico, whether you own your home or rent your home, either way, uh, it, it, it can be a lot of work, but bundling your policies with Geico is super easy. You can bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing because you have so much to do around the home already. So just go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All right. Um, I'm just going to.